Welcome to Don't Read Drunk, a podcast about books and booze. I'm Jenny, and I'll be your host. Hi, welcome back. We are on episode 60 this week and talking about the seven and a half deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle. I ended up missing last week. Both the boy and I were pretty sick, so totally threw a wrench into plans. I was just overwhelmed and exhausted, so the podcast was got what got pushed to the side. <laughs> I definitely needed a palate cleanser, and while this is a murder mystery, it is an exciting whodunit that was just what I was looking for. I listened to this book on Scribed, and last weekend... When we were sick, we didn't get outside a ton. It was still pretty nice. The weekend prior was so beautiful. Weather in the 70s, the boy and I spent a lot of time outside. We walked the dogs, we had a fire, we got some grilling in, which this past weekend I also did grill because the boy said he was hungry for brats. And I thought grilling some brats was a quick and easy meal because I still wasn't feeling the best but wanted to get outside to enjoy the weather a little bit before winter happens because winter comes on us so quickly, especially here in Wisconsin, that you've just got to enjoy the great weather while you can. Once it's in the midst of winter and it's dark all the time, I know I'll be complaining about it. So I like to get out and enjoy it as much as I can. Seasonal depression is definitely a thing. While I try to hold off as much as I can, there is well, hold off the seasonal depression, hold off any depression. There's really just nothing that I've found that compares to spending time in the warm sun. And that just helps with that seasonal depression. Those long winter days can get so dreary and just weigh on you as anyone in this kind of environment um, and this kind of weather like we have in the Midwest can definitely understand. That's why we get so excited as Midwesterners when it's spring and it's like 50 degrees, but people are outside wearing shorts because we've been stuck inside and cold all winter long that we get excited at any hint of the weather warming up. You definitely see this kind of thing happening. <laughs> Things have been pretty good lately. Work has slowed down a bit, so that's always a struggle, but I love my job and I love where I work. That always makes life a little better. I love doing this too, but I'm not sure that I'd want to do this for my full-time job, which reminds me, we've got some new listeners. So shout out to those of you who have found the podcast and are new. I hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoy doing the reading and sharing all these different books with you. Just a reminder, this is a hobby podcast, which means I do everything myself. Any support you can give is appreciated. You can support me by giving a five-star rating on iTunes and Apple Podcasts. You can give me a one-time donation through PayPal using my email, don'treaddrunk at gmail.com, or by becoming a Patreon at patreon.com slash don'treaddrunk. There is no apostrophe in the don't on either the email or on Patreon. Thank you again so much to those who have and who continue to support me. This podcast has definitely kept me going through some tough times 
and your support means more than you know. For the booze this week, I got back to my traditional red wine for this mystic murder mystery. It was a little more than I usually spend at $18 a bottle for this Samuel Robert Pinot Noir Vintners Reserve. But after being sick and a little stressed out and stuff with work, I felt like a splurge. And this one got good reviews, so I thought I'd try it out. I'm glad I did. This is a wine from Willamette Valley, Oregon that comes in at 13.26% ABV. It was very smooth and yet richly flavored. I could taste the cherry flavor. It's a little, got a little bit of spice to it. Um, They known it as cinnamon. It didn't taste like overly cinnamony to me, Um, but it's a medium bodied wine. And I thought it wasn't too heavy, but flavorful enough to make it a really good pairing for a slightly heavier meal. I would pair this with some good Mexican food or something spicy. It would also be good with some lamb on the grill. I enjoyed it and I'd drink it again. For more casual drinking, I'd probably stick with something more my mid price range, my like $12 to $10 price point. But I definitely recommend this bottle. This would be nice to share with some friends and over a nice dinner. The author this week is Stuart Turton, who is a journalist and author. While today we're talking about The Seven and a Half Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle, which was his debut novel, he's now published a second book called The Devil in the Dark Water. Information was pretty light on Turton, so I got a lot of information from this interview with him, which the link is in the show notes. And I loved this because the first lines of the article are, Stuart Turton is a freelance journalist who lives in West London with his wife. Stuart is not to be trusted in the nicest possible way, (laughs) which of course is a reference to his murder mystery and that you never know what's going to happen with all the twists and turns. So this is from the interview. I wanted to share a little bit of this. What's currently on your nightstand? usually got a few books on the go at the same time. I'm currently reading Leave the World Behind, which is beginning to come into focus. For the longest time, it was very creepy, but I had no idea what was going on. I'm also reading The Porpoise by Mark Haddon, which is one of the best things I've read in a very long time. It's so deftly written and manages to be consistently surprising. I love it. What are you working on now? I'm currently working on book three, but it's really early, so I can't say too much about it. It's utterly bonkers, which I like, and I'm utterly terrified by it, which I don't. At its center is an idea I'm not sure I can pull off, which is pretty much how Seven Deaths and Devil got started, so it's weirdly reassuring. And this next one I found really interesting, so I wanted to share this one too. What is the last piece of art, music, movies, TV, more traditional art forms that you've experienced or that has impacted you? Oh God, I'm going to sound totally soulless here, but nothing really impacts me very much. I'm one of those lucky people who doesn't suffer much from highs or lows. I enjoy things a great deal, but mostly I'm made from cogs and springs. When my two-year-old daughter says she loves me, you'll see the mechanism stutter slightly, but that's about the only thing that can do it. So that was surprising to me. And I wonder what that's like, because I personally have gone through life just, I'm a very emotional person. I have very strong emotions. And for me, it's constant highs and lows. And I don't know that I would ever want to be so even keel like this. Turton says he's one of those lucky people. And I I don't know that he's lucky. I, I think maybe it works for him. And it sounds like he's happy being the kind of person I am. It might be nice to have not those low lows. But 
I don't know that I'd want to be so even keel either. My intense emotions have gotten me into trouble sometimes and have definitely been a challenge in my life, but I don't know that I'd want to be any different. So as soon as I read that, I was, I was pretty fascinated because it was a good reminder too, that there are people out there like that. And again, one of the beauties of life that we're all such different people. This I found from Wikipedia. Turton was born and raised in Witness, England, and educated at the University of Liverpool, where he received a BA with honors in English and philosophy. After graduating, he spent a year working as a teacher in Shanghai before becoming a technology journalist in London. He moved to Dubai to become a travel journalist, living there for three years until he returned to London to write his first novel. Also, according to Wikipedia, The Seven Dust of Evelyn Hardcastle has been picked up by Netflix and is set to premiere in 2022. But we are quickly coming to a close on 2022, so we'll see if that gets released. I think it would be interesting, and I'm anxious to watch it if it does get released. Getting into the book, The Seven and a Half Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle was originally released as The Seven Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle, but was changed for its U.S. release due to a book that we've already talked about, The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. And I'll be honest, I still confuse the two, even with the seven to seven and a half. I had heard about both books, but wasn't sure which was rich, and I was confused by the premise of one with the other. And just my opinion, but after reading the book, I think it would have been better to name it like the multiple deaths of Hevelyn Hardcastle to kind of separate it from the seven husbands of Evelyn Hugo. But I'm guessing there was probably some research done by the publishing house to determine the best name as well as it probably did get some additional recognition due to the seven husbands of Evelyn Hugo being published first, at least in the United States. But Maybe it was published first in the UK as the seven deaths and they didn't want to totally change the name for the U S publication. I guess I'm not sure of the timing either. I probably could have looked that up, but I didn't look up the timing of the publication of those two books. They are very different books though. And were both excellent for what I wanted from them. The seven and a half deaths of Evelyn Hugo is a story about a man named Aiden Bishop who awakes in the body of a man he doesn't know. He soon discovers he is the guest of the Hardcastle family on their estate where they are hosting a celebration. The celebration is a bit macabre as it's being held on the anniversary of the death of their son, and all the same people who were present at that event have been invited back. He soon soon learns he'll have eight days and eight different host bodies in which to discover who murders Evelyn Hardcastle. He is guided by an unknown man in a plague doctor costume. Personally, I found it immediately disconcerting and I felt very discombobulated as I'm sure the main character does right away. Some books I like to find out what's going on by continuing to read, but I felt so jolted that I looked up the book on Wikipedia to get my bearings. To me, once I understood things a little bit more, including the main character's name, I felt like more ready to continue forward with the book. And I wondered for a while if it was my anxiety that caused me to do this, or maybe the fact that I was listening unscribed versus reading the book. Because sometimes when I'm struggling with a book, going back and rereading helps me find my footing, so to speak. But going back to listen didn't really do it for me with this book. And I do that sometimes too, 
go back and listen in an audiobook if I've kind of lost my place or I wasn't fully paying attention just to catch up with the story again. So Wikipedia helped me and I felt better listening and what didn't feel so totally lost. At first, I felt this was a me problem, but it might be confusing for others at first going in blind. Then I read on Reddit that the physical book has a character list and a map of the property, so maybe it's not just a me problem. (laughs) When people relied on the character list, while they did, most noted that they were fine without the map. I would have enjoyed the map since I'm a visual person, but it wasn't necessary in my opinion, as necessary in my opinion as the character list. I pretty much went into this not knowing much about it, only that it was a whodunit type murder mystery that had been compared to Agatha Christie, and then it got good reviews. And it was exactly what I needed for my palate cleanser. While it deals with some serious themes like murder and family strife, it felt much lighter than what I've been reading. There is an element of fantasy to the story as well, since there isn't clear reasoning for why Aiden has ended up in this mystery and exactly how it works. The setting, though, was exactly what I wanted. The story is set in the early 1900s at the country estate of the Hardcastle family. James Cameron Stewart narrated the book. There were some reviewers who didn't care for his narration, but I enjoyed it. He's British, so I found the British accent to be fitting for the book and immersive for me. He changed voices a little bit for the different characters that I thought was really well done. And just on Scribed alone, he's narrated 76 different books. So I think he's doing something right anyways. And I will admit, I'm not terribly picky about narrations, unless it's a really beloved book of mine. And honestly, recent narrations are much better than the original books on tape. To me, recent recordings all seem to be pretty good caliber and quality. Getting back into the story here, the first host that Aiden inhabits is Dr. Sebastian Bell. Evelyn likes Belle, and it's in this host that he gets to know her and like her. I find Evelyn to be likable as well. Despite coming from a wealthy family, she seems well-adjusted and thoughtful. She's struggling to reconnect with her school friends who are at the event, comparing them to snakes who have shed their skin and that she no longer recognizes them. She isn't cruel about it, simply that they haven't stayed in touch and their lives have gone in different directions. Evelyn also tells Belle that, quote, the truth isn't always a kindness. And he ultimately agrees with her. No, I disagree. The truth might be hard to hear, but sometimes it's better to know the truth rather than blindly continuing with life. And this is something I mentioned before. I'm one of those people who values truth no matter how hard it is. And again, same thing with the difference between Turton and myself. The beauty of life is that people are different. And there are absolutely people who prefer blissful blissful ignorance. I suppose the answer is just know what kind of person your friend or partner is so you know what information to share and what to keep to yourself. Evelyn also tells Belle not to worry about his flaws as we all have them. And I've been working on my flaws, understanding emotional intelligence and boundaries. I was reading about one person's opinion about growth and self-help books. And their opinion was that you can spend a lifetime trying to grow rather than embracing your imperfections and being happier than you would trying to constantly change to be better. I think there's some wisdom in this, and I think Evelyn's opinion is thoughtful to an extent. Personally, I do find joy in becoming a better person. 
think growth is important. I struggle to deal with people who are so obtuse about their imperfections. I think sometimes we can be obtuse about certain imperfections, but also being willfully ignorant is just arrogance in my opinion. I think there's a balance to strike with accepting your faults and growing as a person. And I'm still working on that balance and learning when not to take things so seriously. But to me, that's what life is all about is finding that balance between that growth and self-love and just enjoying the time that you have here. Evelyn's comment felt perfectly time and t- timed, and I thought it was a good reminder for the reader. Evelyn's a likable character, and I think Turton does an excellent job endearing her to us so that when Aiden makes it his mission to save her life, we can all relate to this, and it makes Aiden even more likable and relatable. He's a good person, and he has a strong will to do the right thing, despite the plague doctor's insistence that she cannot be saved. There are so many questions that the reader has that at times it felt frustrating to me that the story didn't move along faster. Aiden learns things slowly. It's more about the murder coming together as he changes hosts and begins to see things differently depending on which hosts he inhabits. There's plenty of action, so the story moves along in a compelling and interesting way for me. But personally, I found the questions that haunted me interrupted my enjoyment of the story. My questions as I read were, why is the plague doctor favoring Aiden above the other, quote, players? Why is the footman trying to kill them? What is the purpose of this loop? What role does Anna play in this overall picture? And of course, these are all questions that are answered in the end. And I do enjoy the questions that Turton is posing with the culmination of the story. Spoilers here, so skip ahead maybe like three minutes to avoid them. The biggest question here is, can people change? Aiden clearly has a strong character throughout. Well, to me, Anna remains questionable. Learning that she's a violent criminal is definitely surprising, but the way she was written left her personality and who she was more open-ended and more questionable than Aiden's. Aiden says at one point when he's talking to Daniel that they have the opportunity to come out of this simulation loop better men than when they entered. And Anna doesn't have such moments, though Aiden strongly vouches for her in the end. The other big question is, can prisoners be rehabilitated? While I believe some can be, I didn't get the feeling that a lot of people want to put the money and effort into a rehabilitative prison system, that they're just happy to leave things the way they are. And I and we've talked about this in other podcasts, and I don't necessarily agree with that. I don't think that this simulation would be the best way to rehabilitate prisoners, but I do think it's possible to rehabilitate them. I also don't think it's possible to rehabilitate everyone. I wonder about Aiden's change of heart as well. Is it because he believes Anna has truly changed? Is it because he's forgotten his hatred? Is it because he's lost so much of himself to his hosts? I'm not really sure. And while I get that it's not the point of the story, I just would have been really interested to explore some of these questions that the ending left kind of open-ended and that I would have liked to kind of know where the things went from there because it felt like the murder mystery is such a big part and then you kind of get the information drop and you learn about what's happening, why it's happening. But there's so much at the end that's left 
leaving you wondering or it left me wondering. Overall, I gave this three out of five. For me, it just missed the mark in a few big areas that I couldn't overlook. I enjoyed the story. I thought it was a fun ride. You definitely have to suspend reality for the entire book. What makes it fail for me, and this is also a spoiler, so skip ahead about a minute, is that the simulation was based on the real murder of Evelyn Hardcastle. And while I can suspend my reality enough that I can get on board with the host bodies and how Aiden starts to kind of absorb the personalities, the idea is that the simulation can completely replicate replicate a situation that's decades since past and that the simulation can change and the people reacting to those changes just totally pushes the boundaries for me. I think our actions impact things and Aiden proved his actions could actually change the day. And even in a simulation world, it does not make sense that they're able to end up solving this murder because they are changing the events of the day. People are too driven by emotion for things to continue on a loop that can be changed. And then the results end up the same, which the results didn't actually end up the same, but they, you know, were able to figure out the murderer. And it just doesn't flow logically for me. Also, the questions that bothered me did hinder my enjoyment of the novel. There are some things I think in a mystery where it it helps create more excitement and more enjoyment and more suspense. And this just didn't for me. I wasn't able to fully immerse myself into the world that Churton created and just enjoy it. I can absolutely see why people like this book. I would even recommend it. It just wasn't as good for me as I wanted it to be. Goodreads gives it a 3.87. One reviewer said this is the most deliciously bonkers and intensely effed up stories I've ever read from start to finish. Another reviewer said if you're looking for a book to keep you awake at night because you need to finish it, then this is it. And for me, I would respectfully disagree with that because it wasn't one of those books that kept pushing me along that I just absolutely had to finish. It was engaging. I found it as interesting. I wanted to pick it up again or, and well, listen to it again, but it just wasn't one of those ones that would keep me up at night because I just had to know what happened. Another quote, I liked the premise. I was really was intrigued by the mystery. I just was not invested enough to properly grasp the full concept. And I think that too was something that hindered me. I just wasn't as invested as, as I could have been. Someone also explained how the quote conceit of the book was the use of magic, but the magic is never fully explained. And I thought that was really interesting as well. And kind of is in step with my big issues with the book where it it really doesn't explain how changes could happen to the day and how Aiden could impact those changes and we could still end up with the same results or end up with a satisfying accurate result. Fat phobia is also brought up and I can see this being a problematic aspect of the book. I do think it's fair that a relatively fit person being hosted by an overweight body would be a big shock and worth noting, but the way it was written, I guess, was a bit excessive and descriptive. I was also a bit irritated by the fear that Aiden had that one of his hosts would be a woman. Well, the psychology of that would probably be an interesting aspect of the story. I could understand her not wanting to touch on it because it would totally distract from the other aspects of the book. But the revulsion that Aiden felt, I thought, was unnecessary. I enjoyed it. 
I didn't think it was as great as some reviewers thought, but I'd say it's worth a read knowing that it's not perfect. Media recommendations this week, Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. My kid wanted to watch this movie, so we actually paid to rent it, and I don't usually do this since we have so many different streaming services, but he really wanted to watch it and said he'd pay for it, which of course I didn't let him. It was so good. I totally want to read those books now. I know I've said that I don't usually like to watch a movie or a TV show if I haven't read the book, but I didn't think I'd read them because I don't read like a ton of YA. So I thought it would be fun to watch the movie since my son loves it so much. It's dark for young adult. It's creepy and really creative. This is one you don't even need a kid around to watch this one and get enjoyment out of it. I do now plan to check out the books because I enjoyed it so much. Definitely highly recommend this one. Also this week, a slow burning fire Soul Fire Burning, sorry, by Paula Hawkins. Hawkins wrote Girl on a Train, and I was excited for this one. This was a slow burn for sure. It's slow, and it took me a while to get into. But the characters are interesting, though, and I found myself getting wrapped up in the little details and the different personalities that Hawkins tells the story from. It's another murder mystery, and I enjoyed it. I listened to this one on uh, audiobook, Audible. I'd purchased it a while ago and finally got around to it. It was different from Girl on the Train, but still has that same unreliable narrator aspects. I enjoyed both the story and the narration on this one. Thanks for joining this week. You can find me on Instagram at Don't Read Drunk. You can email me at don'treaddrunk at gmail.com or check out my website, don'treaddrunk.buzzsprout.com. Like I said earlier, this is a hobby podcast, so you can give me a one-time donation through PayPal using my email, don'treaddrunk at gmail.com, or support this podcast by becoming a Patreon at patreon.com slash don'treaddrunk. Thank you so much to my sponsors, Aaron Ruiz at One Up Till Sunup, who created the music. You can find Aaron and One Up Till Sunup on Facebook, Instagram, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. Also, Avenue Coffee House. You can find them on Facebook and their website, avenue-coffeehouse.com. They've also opened up a new coffee shop, Supernova, downtown Milwaukee, and they make the most amazing homemade donuts. So definitely check them out. Next episode, we'll be talking about Circe by Madeline Miller. Bye, and talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.